กลัวครับทุกวันนี้คืนที่1มิถุนายน2522ตอนนี้เรามีโอกาสที่จะคุยถึงความรู้สึกในอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดีตไม่คิดถึงอดี To know the breath as it goes in, to know the breath as it goes out, and we use this in and out breath as the object of our recollection, the object of our mindfulness, and this is right mindfulness, right recollection. And we should be careful with this that we don't control the breath, that we don't put pressure on the breath, but to let the breath be natural and relaxed. For instance, when we're not sitting in meditation and we're not focused on the breath, then the breath is going in and out already. And the difference here is that now we know the breath as well as it goes in and out. And if we have worry or concern about the breath as we're watching it, then we can use the method of counting in pairs. As the breath goes in, you count one. As the breath goes out, count one. The breath goes in, count two. The breath goes out, count two. All the way up to five. And having reached five, we go back to one again. And from one up to six. Then in the next round, up to seven. The next round, up to eight. Then to nine. Then to ten. And in this way, the mind's not thinking outside, not thinking about any other things. This means that our method of counting is correct at this point, and then at this point we can let go of the counting and just know the breath as it goes in and the breath as it goes out, to see the breath clearly. And we are not controlling the breath, not tense, not stressed, and the breath isn't heavy. And then we just keep knowing the breath as it goes in and out. The mind can become still and collected in samadhi at this point, and then the mind lets go of the breath all by itself. It happens automatically, and this we reckon as a good fortune that we have sufficient samadhi at this point to do this. The five jhanic factors of applied thought, sustained thought, rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness arise. This is upajara, neighborhood, and samadhi. And there may be some doubt here that may arise about wanting more samadhi to the point of the first jhana, of one-pointedness of mind. But we need to understand if we've practiced before, if we've reached the first jhana previously, then when we sit in meditation, we can reach that first jhana again. Or if we've reached the second, third, or fourth jhana in the past, then we sit in meditation again. We can reach the level that we reached before. And when the mind is in upajara or neighborhood samadhi already, then the mind starts to proliferate again. And then whatever it is that one is proliferating about, one contemplates that as an object of vipassana meditation. 
This vipassana means clear seeing, knowing according to the truth, knowing that all things are impermanent, suffering and not self. This is the way to peace. This is the way of, and the way of shamatha, the way of tranquility meditations to know the breath as it goes in and out. We can also use the mantra bhuto with the breath, or we can contemplate death. That life is uncertain, death is certain. This can bring the mind to peace. Or we can see the body as being composed of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water. This can bring the mind to peace as well. These are all examples of shamatha meditation objects. We see that samatha and vipassana, they're not separate, they're not different things. When we have the strength of samadhi in the mind already, then we use, and we bring the mind to stillness, to peace. Then we know everything as changing. We know that everything has this nature of change, of instability. We see impermanence, suffering, and not self. We see this all materiality and mentality, the body, it's all impermanent, suffering and not self. And we see the Dhamma gradually in this way. So we train, we practice, and we need, we feel that we want or need more samadhi. And it's something that happens on its own. It develops on its own. So we use, we can use wisdom to develop samadhi as well. The mind sits in samadhi and sometimes we feel that the samadhi is not increasing, it's just at the same level as before. But we keep practicing evenly and consistently, and this builds up a momentum, and the samadhi reaches a consistent, stable level, and then that samadhi improves on its own. So we sit in meditation, bring the mind to peace, and when we get up from that meditation, the samadhi can degrade to some degree. Then we come back again to sit in meditation and the mind reaches a state, a certain level of peace. Then we exit that meditation the same as before, but we notice our samadhi is better than before. And we sit again and the samadhi is even better. And it can reach the point of one-pointedness of the ekagata citta. We have the five jhanic factors arise and the mind can reach one point and at this point we're close to the first jhana. The mind is still. The mind is not going to the left or to the right. This is a samadhi that's better than it has been previously. There's rapture, fullness of heart. This is very good. And this quality of sukha, the jhanic factor of sukha, it's a fullness of heart, it can feel very heavy, very firm. The body feels very heavy, tight, or firm. And this is a feeling that arises in the mind. And having this quality of sukha, then when, when we exit the meditation, the mind doesn't chase after sense impressions, the mind doesn't waver, whatever sense object it is, whether a sight, a sound, a taste, a smell, a touch, or a mind object, 
usually the mind will chase after these objects and waver with them. But when we have samadhi, when we have rapture and sukha, happiness, the mind doesn't waver. So this is very good. This is a stillness that's very good that we haven't experienced before. And when this, the mind is stable like this, then when these sense impressions arise, we're able to contemplate them, to see all these sense impressions as impermanent suffering and not self. This gives rise to wisdom. This is vipassana. So again, we see that samatha and vipassana, they're not separate, they go together. Some practitioners will say, oh, I'm a samatha practitioner. Others say, oh, I'm a vipassana practitioner. And they say, oh, you're a samatha practitioner or you're a vipassana practitioner. And the samatha practitioner will look down on the vipassana practitioners thinking that they lack sufficient peace and stability of mind. And the vipassana practitioners may look down on the samatha practitioners thinking that they lack wisdom. But we see that both samatha vipassana have their good and bad sides to them. But when we have experience with meditation, then we see that peace and wisdom, samatha and vipassana, they go together. When we know and see clearly, then we don't doubt about this anymore. So those who understand, those who see the way of Dhamma practice, those who've seen the Dhamma, they don't dispute and argue about this point anymore. They understand the way to practice, so they, they no longer say, I'm a samatha or I'm a vipassana practitioner. They understand that one walks this way. This is the way to the end of suffering. Because in the world, everyone is seeking out uh, freedom from suffering. And people use many different ways and different things to try to attain this. And sometimes people's minds will leave their body and it's only the mind left and it'll feel very empty. But this is the emptiness that doesn't come from clear knowing. This is the emptiness of ignorance because the kilesas are still in the mind. The kilesas are not in the body. So when the mind exits the body, the kilesas go along as well. This body composed of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water is not where the kilesas live, not where the defilements live. The body is merely a tool of the mind to do goodness or to do badness. The mind can tell the body to do either wholesome or unwholesome deeds. When the mind has ignorance, then the actions of body, speech, and mind will be wrong or incorrect. But when there's clear knowing, the actions of body, speech, and mind will be correct, in line with virtue. And so torturing the body as a method to know the Dhamma does not work. One may think that torturing the body to realize the Dhamma, to understand the Dhamma, is right, but it's actually the wrong way. And also to follow after one's moods to follow after ease and pleasure is also uh, not the way to see the Dhamma.
So in order to seek the Dhamma, one must cut off the kilesas in the heart to have mindfulness established in the mind, to cultivate samadhi, peace of mind, to bring about rapture and happiness, to bring the mind to one point, can realize the first, second, third, or fourth jhana or higher than that. And one has a great amount of sukha and happiness arising from this more than one is used to. And this gives the mind strength and energy. We see that in the Buddha's time, there were many who were able to know and understand the Dhamma quickly. And this is because their samadhi was full already. They'd practiced for a long time already. So having listened to the Dhamma, wisdom could arise. They could see the Dhamma easily. It's because their samatha was full and complete. They only needed vipassana, so they could know quickly. They had the mindfulness to contemplate everything as not self. And there are other methods that people try, such as using drugs. And having used drugs, the mind may exit the body. But the kilesas, the defilements, go along as well. So in this way, the mind doesn't go to a high place because the mind lacks sufficient energy. Rather, the mind goes to a dark place and the mind is lost. Therefore, this is not the way to the end of suffering. And then one realizes one must train the mind in the way of the Buddha sasana, the way that the Buddha taught. Because the Buddha taught the correct way to the end of suffering. This is something Lumpu Cha would often teach, that Dhamma practitioners must be careful not to catch the wrong culprit. And sometimes people would listen to this teaching and wonder, what does it mean to catch the wrong culprit? Well, the wrong culprit is the body. If we catch the body, this is not the culprit we're after. We have to catch the mind. For instance, just eating a little bit of food, it's not in and of itself going to lead to Dhamma realization. We need to cultivate samadhi in order to contemplate the body according to truth. To contemplate the body, contemplate feeling, contemplate the mind, and contemplate dhammas. And then, having contemplated like this, then we have understanding, belief, and faith in the way of Dhamma practice. This is the way to go beyond doubt. So we have this quality of intent, of firm intent already, and we have this very good opportunity. So we have to come train our minds to give rise to clear knowing, to give rise to awakened knowing. And when we give rise to this awakened knowing, then whether we're lying down or sitting, the mind can be awake. The, the body is lying down and the body and mind may be sleeping, but the mind doesn't flow with that sleep. The mind is still awake and the mind has clear knowing. At this point, one sees that the body is one thing and the mind is another. This is the mind that's bright and has fullness of heart. This is related to mindfulness and wisdom arising. In this way, one can see everything as convention. This gives rise to liberation. When one contemplates like this, then one sees 
that for the mind to carry anything, to carry around anything, is suffering. And for a practitioner to reach this point, one sees this attachment to self, attachment to things as self. And so one seeks out a way to cure the suffering in the heart, to give rise to samadhi. And when there's samadhi, then it's easy to teach the mind that things are uncertain, things are unstable. The mind's able to accept this. But when the mind lacks samadhi, then we teach the mind, but the mind doesn't believe the teachings. The mind doesn't believe the teachings because one needs samadhi. There was one point I went to a cremation ground there was a great amount of fear arising in my mind. My mindfulness wasn't with my meditation object. There was a lot of clinging to that fear. I was truly afraid, afraid of death. And I tried to teach my mind at that point, but the mind wouldn't believe what I was teaching it because the mind was clinging to this mood of fear. And I went to sit in meditation. The mind gathered together, became bright. The mind became still and empty. The body became empty. The mind gathered at one point and gained clarity. This is a mind that has bravery. The fear was dispelled. And after this meditation, I got up to do walking meditation. The mind was very bright. And I went to the very same spot where I had previously been so strict, stricken with fear. And there were many bones from human corpses lying all about at that location. But because the mind was bright, there was no fear anymore. Before there was a lot of fear in that very spot, but now in the same place there was no fear at all. So knowing and ignorance are different in this way. And we understand that the Dhamma cares for those who practice it. So we have to make effort to train and practice, first of all, because all condition formations are impermanent, are stressful. And suffering is waiting for us in the future. We don't know when our bodies will collapse or degrade. We don't know when that will happen. And so given that this is true, we should set our hearts firmly on the practice. We won't be here forever. So we should hurry up and practice while we can. We see that we don't truly have a home. Because the home that we do have is a home that's uncertain and unstable. So therefore we're seeking out a true home, a true place for the mind to rest. And this is Samadhi. Lumpu Cha would ask, do you know your true home yet? Do you know a true resting place? And the meaning of this is samadhi. So having samadhi already, then we can contemplate to give rise to wisdom, to put things down, to understand the Dhamma clearly. We have to have effort, firm intent, and perseverance in this in order to have the Buddha Dhamma Sangha as the refuge in our hearts. So this time is the Songkran holiday, the Thai New Year the time to pour water on the Buddha statues. And we do this with respect and reverence to give coolness to our hearts. And we practice the same 
as we have been, to understand the Dhamma in our hearts. And this washing or cleaning of the Buddha, I understand it to be the cleaning of the kilesas in our own heart, to clean out the kilesas bit by bit, to give rise to true coolness in the heart, because the kilesas in the heart give rise to heat in our heart. And the mind that has Dhamma is a mind that's cool. This is the Dhamma arising in the heart. So may you all set your hearts on this. <laughs>